Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hockey Jersey Addicts, the podcast and support group for the addicted hockey jersey fan to talk twill, wool, acrylic, and polyester. Join us as we share what we've learned and uncovered about the game of hockey through collecting, restoring, customizing, and selling hockey jerseys. Around here, no jersey is too small or too big, too new or game-worn, too loud or too proud. We see everyone as equal and explore a diverse range of topics ongoing in the hockey community. We'll also dive into the vault with hockey history, trivia, and reminisce as much as possible about the grails we've got, the thrift store finds, and the watchlist wants. So put on some polyester, give us a listen, and if you like what you hear and want more, make sure to subscribe and follow us on your podcast station and social media of choice at Hockey Jersey Addicts. And remember, you miss 100% of the jerseys you don't collect. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. It's Dan, a.k.a. VanCanFan75, and I am really looking forward to this week's episode. It features a legendary designer and the man behind what the Hockey News has voted as the number one NHL logo of all time back in 2015. The person responsible for the original and redesign of the San Jose Sharks logo, Terry Smith. We discuss how he became involved with the design process, just how impactful that logo has been in the way and changing the NHL doing business, and try our best to confirm or deny some fan theories on some of the logo's storied past, including a different original color and shelf designs that may eventually find their way back into the limelight. Plus, Terry shares some big news for hockey jersey fans with us as a first announcement, so those who are subscribed to the podcast, congrats. You're hearing some breaking news today. Before we drop the puck, though, I want to take a quick minute to thank our listeners out there for their feedback on the podcast so far. Your suggestions have really helped shape this show into something for the hockey community. And if you have any ideas for episodes and want to behind the scenes, maybe sound waves, updates on upcoming guests, make sure to follow us on Instagram. We're going to be running some contests and giveaways there as well. So, you know, it is the holiday season after all. Now, the second and last announcement, and then we'll talk Twill. Um, For our seasoned fans out there and our first-time listeners, our episodes start off with a segment that's somehow related to either the day of the release, like when we focused on Turn Back the Clock jerseys on Daylight Savings Day, or the guest of the show, like discussing the Memorial Cup tournament during Remembrance Day with a U.S. Air Force technician. The opening segment is from here on out going to be called The Common Thread, and it will be the name of our blog on HockeyJerseyAddicts.com. So if you want to go behind the scenes, pages maybe, of those portions, check out our website, but maybe in about a week because I just got the idea like a couple days ago. So today's episode is focused on the Sharks logo, including topics like color use. Terry Smith is an amazing designer with an incredible career, and this episode won't be enough time to cover Terry Smith in as great as detail as he should be. But we both agree at the end of the episode, we could dive even deeper, see what I did there, on the Sharks logo history. And for that reason, I encourage you to listen until the end because there are some two really cool announcements about both. Overall, though, Smith now wants to involve himself more with the hockey community in hopes of using his art as a tool to help promote more diversity, equity, and inclusion in the sport. There's a Sharks player looking to do that right now as well named Devander Kane. He not only wants to knock out Logan Paul, but plans on fighting for more equality in hockey. 
With fellow NHL player Akeem Alou, they co-founded the Hockey Diversity Alliance. Their purpose is to, quote, eradicate systemic racism and intolerance in hockey. And they are committed to inspire a new and diverse generation of hockey players and fans. I found these statements from Alou and what it meant to a young hockey player from a CBC interview. The message that I'm trying to send here is in the fact that we need to be more inclusive. We need to bring more minorities into our game, and I just think it's going to make our game that much better. I mean, he's a role model for us. As he said, like he came before us, he immigrated to his parents immigrated to Canada, and now we see him playing right in front of us. Like he's amazing, but that gives me hope. Their approach is to strive and create sustainable change on all levels of hockey. They want to educate and encourage accountability from leagues and leaders as well as make the sport more accessible to anyone who loves the game. You can learn more about their work and what they support and like all nonprofits, how they are even spending their money on their website, hockeydiversityalliance.org. So I immigrated twice in my life. The first time I was a young kid into fifth grade and we had just left Canada for America and I had a hard time making friends, and I didn't think it helped that the South Park movie with Blame Canada had just come out. Stop dirty language from getting to our children's ears! We must go fight the source of it! But what is the source? Oh, that's easy. Times have changed! Our kids are getting worse! They won't obey their parents, they just want to fight and curse! Should we blame the government? Or blame society? Or should we blame the images on TV? No! I can't deny it is a pretty catchy song. I mean, it was nominated for an Academy Award like two months before I moved there. Anyway, um, more seriously, I was bullied a lot for that at school and in the hockey locker rooms. Thank goodness I was okay, though, at like actually playing hockey because they looked past where I was from and we somehow tolerated each other a bit because I wanted to play hockey and win and they wanted to do that, too. Um, I also wanted friends and I stuck with it almost, you know, quitting a few times over a few situations over the years. Uh, people would like pee in my hockey helmet just for examples. It was kind of, it, it just sucked. It was not a lot of fun. And I was a white kid who looked the same as these people made me think, you know, like if I could just, you know, hide my Canadianness or if they didn't know I was Canadian, I wouldn't have been, I feel like I would have been, I would not have been picked on in the first place. Cause I would have just like at that point pretty much like blended in. And, uh, it's why I'm saying this story because first of all, a kid going through something, just being bullied in general, you shouldn't feel like if it's for who you are or what you're going through that, you know, like their nationality and where they come from should be hidden as a result of that, it, it, like we're trying to build a society where your differences are supposed to be appreciated and you should be proud of who you are. Um, and secondly, I was a white kid from Canada who could easily and superly easily like hide like the differences compared to an American kid, a stereotypical white American kid, I should say. And, um, I just imagine you know, I can't imagine, but I think about 
being black or Chinese or literally anything else where you can't mask the color of your skin or your nationality or the way that you look and there's no blending in for those people. It's like there's no switch off. It's just constant. And for the people that argue that, you know, immigrants need to assimilate if they want to live in your country, I think about, you know, how at least when it comes to their participation in hockey, that is exactly what they're trying to do. They're learning our culture, in this case hockey, at your request. And so if they're actively trying to be part of the solution, why are you also making it so difficult for them at the same time? We, like the collective we, fund their communities less we bully them and physically hurt them for being different. And by doing so, we systematically are perpetuating this while also totally taking the other side of it. So we're being hypocrites. And that was like my first experience immigrating and what it led to me feeling about myself from just coming from a different country where there were already a lot of similarities. And then The second time I immigrated, I was 24 and I was living in Australia or like I went to Australia. I had zero plans of playing hockey there. Um, In fact, I had to say ice in front of hockey when I was talking to people because their go-to thought is field hockey. So after a year there, though, I, I recognized that this was becoming a more permanent thing and started to invest more time in the community and my friends there. So I looked up the ice hockey situation, got my gear shipped over, and proceeded to find a league. The weird difference this time around, though, was I'm the one in the locker room who, as far as nationalities go, was not the minority. Like, despite living in Sydney, it was a locker room full of Canadians like myself. So I had instant friends, but it was also interesting because we were the ones now being responsible for helping others in the locker room and learning the game and those were the Australians and we were trying to teach them and make sure they appreciated the game of hockey and being in my mid-20s now I it it was a little easier to expect like some maturity there in the locker rooms and I know we gave the Aussies a hard time though like I I look back on that now and really need to ask myself if I ever crossed any lines with the locker room banter and chirping if I uh you know if I perpetuated the issue I had faced myself even after going through the experience myself had I just you know subconsciously pass it on to others and I'd like to think I didn't but that's totally not for me to decide I have like I'd have to talk to them about that I imagine there's people that I played with back in the U.S. that are completely unaware of how much what they did to me affected me. So I, I think I'd be ignorant to think that I couldn't have had the same effect on someone else. And I'm sharing these two personal experiences with you because I want it to parallel a little bit of what the Hockey Diversity Alliance is trying to do. I'm also just trying to add my 
experience to the conversation and rec- try to recognize where it can be helpful and also where I need to stop. And the Hockey Diversity Alliance, they want to eradicate the issue of racism at the grassroots level and provide a safer, more inclusive locker rooms. They would have helped me a lot as a kid, I think. They also want to teach and educate in the leagues and with key leaders. And, you know, that sounds like that would have helped me a lot as a young adult playing in the Australian League too. So, I mean, now I I really appreciate the Hockey Diversity Alliance existing and what their mission is about. And I appreciate all the conversations on hockey moving towards a better game. And that means one that's more inclusive, diverse, and equitable. And I think there's very little argument that the NHL is the best league for the collection of hockey talent. So not only as a league, but as a, as a league leader, they need to recognize the responsibility that they play. The world, not just hockey, is working right now to become more progressive. It is a global cultural forming around that, and it would be disappointing to see the NHL not recognize that if they don't respond accordingly over the time, their league will fall out of favor to something more in tune with what the public wants. And the public wants change. You know, when George Floyd, a black man, was killed by a white officer in late May of 2020, it created a reaction of which there were many outcomes towards systemic racism. And one among all of those was a nonprofit in hockey operating independently from the NHL called the Hockey Diversity Alliance. And the plan was and still is for the organization to work together with the NHL. And in fact, the NHL was already in the process of creating the Executive Inclusion Council, which will receive input from three subcommittees representing key stakeholders in the player, fan, and youth levels. And so somewhat very naturally at this time in late May, the Hockey Diversity Alliance become partners with the NHL. And at that time, the HDA provided a very clear list of a lot of actionable items, uh, not as orders, but more just like really good suggestions for them um, about what they could do to raise awareness around the issues going on. And one of them, for example, of all these initiatives is, and super relatable, I think, to like just the hockey jersey fans right there, was that they proposed this idea of doing blackout warm-up jerseys to build awareness of the Alliance's agenda, and which could be sold to help raise money for the HDA initiatives afterwards. So, perfect example. In, in late August, after months of you know, these organizations existing um, in hockey, but also all around the United States, North America, and the world as a result of this movement, um, you see these things taking place, including educational and police reform, institutions pledging money towards councils and initiatives. But then in late August, there was another black man shot by police named Jacob Blake. And like in late May, there were many reactions. Unlike May, though, there was also an opportunity to reflect on what change had truly taken place in those three months. And the main conclusion 
was that no one across parts of the American society was doing enough. And that included the NHL. And they were seen by many as another company promising to make change, but taking not enough action. And this was the argument because while other sports leagues postponed games and took time to reflect almost immediately, the NHL pressed on and they did eventually postpone games, but only after pressure from the players. And Evander Kane uh, explains the situation in an interview with NBC Sports. Yeah, um, you know, obviously, uh, going back to yesterday, um, you know, we, we had an internal uh, discussion with, with the members of our alliance on, on how we felt and, and what uh, we wanted to do um, with, again, uh, more inaction um, from our league and, and, to be honest, from our players, uh, we felt. Um, and we had another early discussion this morning, um, and that was... Um, Fortunately, followed by a, a conversation with uh, a group of over 100 players uh, in the bubble. Um, and, and to give them credit, they reached out to us. Um, and we were pleasantly surprised to, to hear uh, some of the dialogue that they had um, had within their teams and, and within, uh, you know, small groups um, regarding these issues and what they wanted to do. And um, ultimately, they made a decision to uh, forgo um games today um, and tomorrow and and obviously we supported that decision and commended them for that and um, I I think because of that and because hockey is such a predominantly white sport you know we wanted to stress that this is impactful um, because hockey and hockey players have really never decided to step outside the uh, the chains if you will it was great to see that the players um, came to realization that that this was an important period of time and moment in time to to make a statement and, and come together. And you know, I think the biggest thing I stressed uh, along with Matt was is that it, it can't just be one or two teams or three or four teams. It, it's got to be everybody. And the, and the fact that everybody came together, I thought was great. So the NHL celebrated its return to play by showcasing a person affiliated with all 31 clubs who in some way in the team's community or organization was working towards making a big difference. So, you know, not what the league was doing or anything, but more just the league realizing they needed to say something, decided to at least raise awareness over what's going on in the communities in um, a ceremony before the first return to play game. Included in that ceremony was a speech uh, prepared by member of the HDA, Matt Dumba, um, current defenseman of the Minnesota Wild, who made this statement to hockey fans. During this pandemic, something unexpected but long overdue occurred. The world woke up to the existence of systematic racism and how deeply rooted it is within our society. For those unaffected by systematic racism or unaware, I'm sure that some of you believe that this topic has garnered too much attention during the last couple months. But let me assure you, it is not. Racism is a man-made creation. 
and all it does is deteriorate from our collective prosperity. Racism is everywhere. Racism is everywhere. And, and we need to fight against it. On behalf of the NHL and the Hockey Diversity Alliance, we vow and promise to stand up for justice and fight for what is right. I know firsthand as a minority playing the great game of hockey, the unexplainable and difficult challenges that come with it. The Hockey Diversity Alliance and the NHL want kids to feel safe, comfortable, and free-minded every time they enter an arena. So I stand in front of you today on behalf of those groups and promise you that we will fight against justice. We will fight against injustice and fight for what is right. I hope this inspires a new generation of hockey players and hockey fans because black lives matter. Breonna Taylor's life matters. Hockey is a great game, but it could be a whole lot greater. And it starts with all of us. It's sad for me to report that since this powerful speech and the list of action items proposed to the NHL, um, the HDA has cut ties with the NHL officially as of October, citing a lack of support. And this is the HDA's statement. We have waited many months for a response to the common sense HDA pledge we proposed, and it's clear that the NHL is not prepared to make any measurable commitments to end systemic racism in hockey. While we are disappointed, the HDA will operate separate and independent of the NHL and authentically implement necessary education programs and changes to the sport and seek to be role models for the youth in BIPOC, which stands for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, communities who want to play hockey. So this is that statement reflected in co-founder Evander Kane's words in an interview. You know, we've been talking with the NHL for uh, just over two months now. And, and you know, we made it uh, very clear in our first statement when we came out uh, as an alliance that, you know, we sought to work with the National Hockey League and um, we haven't wavered from that yet. Um, you know, it's definitely been um, uh, a little bit more difficult than we would have probably anticipated because of the importance of these issues and um, thinking that there would be a better understanding of these issues. But, you know, we're continuing to work with them, uh, hopefully to create that awareness and have them understand the importance of these issues and, and how important it is in order to help ultimately grow our game. Um, you know, we've expressed uh, a lot of what we have planned uh, to the NHL with our pledge um, that we've gone over in great detail um, that talks about funding grassroots programs um, for youth, um, talking about social injustice initiatives, anti-racism education, hiring targets, promoting black individuals and businesses, um, you know, within our game. You know, we, we have come with tangible um, 
plans and ideas that we want to bring to the table and ultimately see come to fruition. And um, we're just still, I guess, and wondering if they want to be a part of that and, and uh, be a part of the process. So if you're still listening, I really appreciate your time as this issue of diversity in hockey is a part of this podcast. It's important to me. It's something that is important to my guest, Terry Smith. And I think through these stories, it's important to you now as well. So we are going to turn our interview now to Terry, which is a absolutely fantastic walkthrough of the history of the Sharks logo. But please stay to hear Terry's message to the community and learn more about some ways you can, like Terry and I, lend your voice to the conversation of diversity efforts in hockey. The Hockey Diversity Alliance website has a pledge you can sign, which is a great first step. And I also just want to remind people that there is absolutely no correct formula here, but there is a way that this equation gets wrong. And you do nothing and nothing will change. In the words of Norris Trophy winner P.K. Subban, I think in sport, we're all after the same thing, and that's about continuing to build our game, improve our game, make it more inclusive, and make it more welcoming at all levels. There are a lot of moving parts and change. Hi there. Today, I am joined by a very special guest that I'm very excited about interviewing. His name is Terry Smith from Terry Smith Creations, and he is a graphic designer and potential first ballot Hall of Famer in the NHL for design. This guy's been around the block, and we love what you've done. You're most famous, most likely. People know you as the designer behind the Sharks logo for the San Jose Sharks, but you've also been involved in so much sport logo design across many different sports. You were involved with the redesign of the 2017 logo uh, for the Sharks. Um, You're also been involved heavily with the influence and design in their affiliates like the Barons, the China Sharks, and the Worcester Sharks, and the San Jose Barracudas. So your fingerprints and DNA are all over the Sharks logo. And it's so great to have you on to talk about that today and just about you as a designer in general. So thank you so much for coming on and please say hi to all of our hockey Jersey attic listeners out there. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you having me on and hopefully uh, here to answer questions. I know there's a lot of questions sometimes behind these things. So uh, nice to meet all of you and uh, look forward to sharing some thoughts. Well, thanks again. And um, I think where I'd love to start is just how you became involved with you and your team being the ones that were decided to start the design and logo for the expansion San Jose Sharks in the early 1990s. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, my background in art, you know, besides doing, um, you know, logos and designs, uh, you know, um, I really started more as an illustrator. Um, and so, and a lot of the art I was doing at that time, you know, I was doing a different take on, on sports art. It's something I called sports mm-hmm. fantasy. Um, there's a lot of that that people can see, you know, that's out there. Um, probably most, most notable if, if any of your 
fans out there or uh, people watching that they collect, you know, sports cards. You know, we were, uh, it was one that designed like the ProVision line for FLIR. So that was nice. football, baseball, and basketball. Um, and there's a number of different things. As we get into it, I can tell people where they can see more work. But I started as an illustrator and uh, I was um, at a, a sports marketing conference in, the, in San Francisco and they had asked me to speak. I had samples of my, my work there and I was talking to them about sports marketing and different approaches that people could take, um, you know, that was different at that time. Because, um, you know, back then sports art, you know, if, if you go back and look at sports art from the 50s or 60s or even the 70s, you know, you tend to get like a, a, a portrait of a guy's face and then maybe three action shots around it. Right, uh, yeah. Mostly you probably recognize what I'm describing. Uh, and what I do is sports fantasy. In other words, I treat the athletes uh, as if it was, uh, you know, issue number one of a comic book. Um, I, I treat them a little bit more heroic. Um, I try to do, uh, I, I try to have each image tell a story. Um, and so we do something different. And so after seeing some of the work and all that kind of stuff, uh, some of the people who were in the audience, there were a couple of people in the audience who were involved with what was called Bay Area Hockey at the time. A lot of people didn't know about it. Uh, but they were the group that was um, scheduled to bring, you know, the NHL to the Bay Area. And uh, at that time, the team didn't have a name and they were, you know, a place to play or any of that stuff. Uh, so it was pretty early on. Um, but afterwards, they came up to me and said, hey, you know, have you ever done uh, logos for teams before? I said, yeah, I've done a few, you know, it was minor league stuff and different things here or there. And they said, we'd like to, you know, see what you would do, you know, for us uh, with this new team we're bringing to the area. So that's kind of how it started. Very cool. And I, I know a little bit about the graphic design process from being involved with it myself in the corporate world. I imagine you have your own approach and sometimes you're given the name. Sometimes you're allowed to input on the name. Sometimes you're allowed to influence the color choice. Other times that's decided for you. So once it became apparent that you were going to be working with the, can I call them the Sharks organization then? Who knows? But at that point, were you also, you know, being involved with the naming and the focus groups, if there were any, and the color palette choices? Yeah, I, I um, you know, at that time, you know, there were names that were being bantied about. Um, they were trying to figure out what to do. Um, they also wanted the involvement of the community and people in the Bay Area. I know at one point they had done a contest, you know, to try to get, you know, ideas for names and so forth. But there were a few, you know, names that, uh, you know, a, a short list that they were kind of throwing around out there. Uh, so, yeah, we did have some input, input on that. Uh, the one thing I will say on that note is in sports, there are a lot of... Um, there are a lot of teams and leagues that when they come in, um, they try to get, in my opinion, a little too cute and they try to pick esoteric names. Um, things like, um, I remember the old USFL, they were picking things like the sun or the bell. Um, you think of a, a, you have a team in hockey, the wild, you know, things like right. that. When you pick those types of names, um, they are, in my opinion, a little more difficult for people to rally around because when you say, something like wild what does it mean sure you know it's so, a guelph storm exactly so in those cases you 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 know what you create really becomes the identity of the team and you have to kind of make up a story if you will 
Mm. Whereas if you pick something that everybody knows, um, a lot of times I believe that's an easier rallying point um, that when people can see it, they can identify with it a little more quickly uh, and you can do a little bit more with it because um, you can take preconceived notions and ideas and, and people bring um, an idea to the table when they hear the name and then you can play off of that. So to that extent, yeah, you know, I tried to move them away from some of the names that they were thinking about that, like I said, I, I considered more esoteric so that I had something I felt stronger to work with. And that's, that's a strong point there too, that maybe the number one voted name, you know, when it's meant to go to a public vote, it's a great name, but how that then translates into the design process as it relates to workable logos, possible colors, and just overall potential. I see your point about choosing a name like wild versus shark, which is um, already got a little bit of a, a story behind it. And you can play off those connotations instead of trying to create a backstory to then involve those as connotations. So on that note as well, I'm, I mean, when I think shark, I think more like, I definitely think aggressive. And I know that you are a fan of creating logos with a story behind it. But I also know that you're, you were campaigning more for that, that blood red color. Here's a sports team. Here's an aggressive team. Let's, let's play off of that and go with this blood red color. And then it's clearly not blood red. So how did that happen and how much of one of the owners being a fan of the Miami Dolphins do you think maybe had a influence in that teal choice curious yeah whenever whenever you're doing logos again um you know colors logos um you know they're all personal choice you know there's no right or wrong answer it's not math (laughs) you know it's not black and white it's very gray um so opinions are going to matter so depending on you know I've done logos you know over the years where um, uh, an owner's son or daughter makes the decision. An owner's wife makes the decision. Um, you know, it, it, you know, it, it's the owners, it's their teams. They can do what they want. Um, all you can do is try to, you know, offer guidance and suggestions and things like that. Um, when it came to the colors, um, you know, I knew I was doing something that was non-traditional. So, you know, when you think about sometimes solving a problem in this particular case, um, the question becomes how many new things do you want to introduce to an audience, okay. right? So we were already into, I knew I was, you know, we were doing something that was very new and different in terms of logo itself. So that, that was, uh, you know, hey, if people didn't like it, that could be strike one. You know, now we're going to introduce a color, you know, that by a lot of people's definitions, the original colors were, you know, they might've been a little feminine as a, you know, the, the color teal. So, you know, would the guys want to wear it and all that kind of stuff. So now, and it's not traditional and so forth. So now you're introducing potentially a second strike. So it's one of those things where you kind of evaluate when it came to the colors, you know, again, you also want something that's going to stand the test of time. So yep. sometimes, you know, if you think about, you know, colors like, you know, and you've seen them in sports where some teams may have lime green uniforms or they might have these bright, you know, in, in our case, you know, teal or things like that. And then those colors go out of style, right? And the team has to switch colors. So one of the things you're looking at when you're doing these things is, hey, can I come up with a color that, again, the team won't want to change that will stand the test of time. The other thing is you look at colors that make sense 
for the organization and for the name, all that kind of stuff. So when I thought of sharks, yeah, you know, my initial thought was, yeah, uh, blood red. Uh, what we ended up with is Pacific teal, you know, the ocean in blue. So both of those two colors made sense. It was, a, it was a, an idea of, okay, um, how many, like I said, how many new things do you want to introduce into the market? Um, and so again, knowing we were doing something different with the logo, you know, my initial reaction was, hey, maybe we should lean this way. The other thing you had to look at was manufacturing. At that time, there is no, no teal. There was no teal. So all the manufacturers want, probably wanted to string me up. <laughs> you know, they actually had to go out and dye the lots and, and, and make the darn things. Uh, you know, all the t-shirts and all that. Kind of, you know, it just was not a color that, you know, um, manufacturers, whatever they may be, whether you were a licensee or a uniform manufacturer, um, gloves, all that kind of stuff. I mean, who had teal? So, you know, when it came to colors, yeah. You know, as it turns out, you know, it was probably, a, it ended up being a good decision uh in the sense that and you can't predict how popular a logo will be um sure. but because it was so popular um everybody got on board pretty quickly because they were selling right it was making money so if i make yeah. these new shirts you know, know i don't mean to sell them um so and, and it also meant that you know we stood out in the marketplace when it came to sports uh, um because the Miami Dolphins at that point had switched to more of an army green color than a, than a teal color. Mm -hmm. But we were still, we really were the only team in the market. I think um, when the Charlotte Hornets first came into the NBA, I think they had some teal and purple right. in there. But, but it wasn't a color that was used very much. And it wasn't the, the primary color of any team at that point. So it ended up working out in our favor. The other thing I'm curious about there and back to that, part about um, design practicality a little bit and potential were when you heard teal and when it was going that direction, were you immediately concerned about how the cameras in the NHL were going to pick this up with the issue of non photo blue, potentially like messing things up for them. And were you trying to like ahead of time, warn them about that? Or were you then like, okay, teal, and now let's work on a teal color that's going to work on camera. Yeah, no, you know, again, you know, once, uh, you know, once the decision was made, you know, those were kind of my two primary choices. We had done some other things, you know, some of the earlier designs, you know, you know, there were greens, there were reds, there were blues, uh, different shades, you know, but once, you know, most people were getting on board with the teal color, then again, then you focus on that. Um, yeah. So I didn't think much about it after that. Uh, when it came to worrying about television, I think not in the beginning. You know, um, it was about, hey, can we find, you know, a color that works gotcha. um, and, you know, that would would happen. Uh, I think if I'm thinking about my Pantone colors, I, I want to, for some reason, one, three, four, five sticks in my head. That might have been the original teal color. Um, but, you know, it, it wasn't until after the fact um, that, you know, the television uh, concerns came in. And you have to remember at that time and when we did this, I mean, the NHL really wasn't on TV. <laughs> you know, even to this day, you know, the NHL doesn't have the television contracts that, you know, the NFL and, and uh, NBA and Major League Baseball have. Um, so it was a while really before, you know, um, that kind of hardcore television market came into play. Um, but, you know, from the most part, you know, it, it, uh, that didn't come up till later. And it, 
you know, they didn't change the colors of the uniforms or anything uh, for a while. Um, they ended up going to a darker blue at some point, uh, but that was after the jerseys uh, went to Nike instead of CCM. So I'm sure you, you guys are Jersey folks, so you'll know what I'm talking yeah. about here. But, um, you know, when we did that, CCM, you know, made all the, the logo, all the uniforms for all the teams. Um, and it wasn't until Nike switched. And you guys probably know a little bit more of that history between, you know, the, the manufacturers um, kind of wrestling over who got to make the jerseys yeah. um, and that whole story. But, but Nike, uh, Nike was the one that ended up switching the colors and also when they went to those next jerseys nike also took over the uniform design so the jersey that you have on was you know again one of the original ones but when they made that switch nike also said we're going to design the, the uniforms as well yep and i mean just a little bit more to comment on like that influence and back then the nhl wasn't really on tv back then too there was no there was no like the the league operated a lot differently and how you could make money and uh what things were preventing you from making money and you know you talk about the teal being an influence i believe that had a significant impact on just women being involved with the sports side of hockey as fashion because they were starting to see more women buy this logo than other teams in the past and that led to eventually down the road the nhl kind of recognizing that we can make more form-fitting things for women as well correct yeah you know there was the the logo did a couple of things number one um the biggest thing was at the time when we did that logo um you know your audience is probably familiar with what nhl properties is yes so and so, that's that's the thing I love about this story is oh please tell it because it's it's fantastic what what you did because of how awesome this logo was. Yeah, so right now the way all the leagues work is there is a properties division or a licensing arm of every major sport, and so in the NBA it's NBA properties, NFL has NFL properties, etc. And what the properties divisions do is all the owners um, basically split the revenue derived from anything with you know uniforms anything with team logos and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff uh, at the time we did the sharks logo uh nhl properties didn't exist which meant that each team um you know if it was a sharks logo the sharks got the money mm -hmm. <laughs> so you know when you think about it back then you know um merchandising and all that stuff was a primary source of revenue you know, for yeah. an NHL team, it might mean the difference between being able to sign a player or not. Right. Um, and if you think about it that way, you know, none of the other teams were really making enough money where that mattered. Well, the Sharks logo ended up, I think it ended up being like number two in sales in all, in, in all sports in North America. It's just to, to uh, behind I the Bulls, the Chicago Bulls. Yeah. was more. So it meant they were, that's revenue. Now, they could decide what to do with that. If they wanted to sign players or whatever they wanted to do. But the bottom line is the other owners didn't get any cut of that money. Yeah. Um, and the Sharks, again, being out West, there were, you know, there's only one other team out here was the Kings. Right. And so again, what the Mark did, number one, was it kind of changed the way that the league's, uh, the league's approach and they're thinking about, you know, uh, logos and colors and merchandising. 
for us, what it meant is we were just, I was just trying to really come up with something that would appeal to our home market. Uh, at that time, you know, again, hockey, most of your merchandise can be sold in the home market. So I was more focused on, you know, who our audience was going to be. And I figured for a sport like hockey, you know, which is very addicting if you go to the sport, mm. you know, it doesn't, it still doesn't translate well on TV. But if you're there, I figure again, we're going to get younger audiences. We've got surfing out here. We've got X game stuff, skateboarders, you know, this was a different market. And so I was trying to create something that would appeal and sell in our market, which was both, you know, really, if you think about how large California is, we're looking from the, you know, from the, you know, significant. Yeah, it's huge. And so yeah. I'm looking at, you know, San Francisco, San Jose, you know, all the way down. I mean, it's such a large state. Um, and I knew if we did something, we could also crack the LA market because they have a team there. Again, people are going to be aware of hockey. So bottom line was, it, it just meant that, you know, by going with Teal, it was something was different, but it was something that would definitely uh, appeal to, you know, audience out here. And when you talk about women, um, again, one of the things, you know, to note is, you know, who buys most of the clothes in the household? Right. It's wonderful going out. Yep. That's right. Um, so, you know, when we first started, I assumed we would have more of a male audience and that our black merchandise would sell more. And the way it turned out, there was a lady named Mary Keene who was running the Sharks merchant, uh, merchandising. Um, and, you know, Mary accurately predicted she ordered more teal than black. And I kind of looked at her like, are you sure? <laughs> And sure enough, they had a store, uh, I forget the number, but it was a crazy amount of money they were doing on a daily basis in their stores before the team ever even played a game. That's what's amazing to me about this is just the craze that happened as a part of it. And I have other theories as to why that's also true um, that I'm, I'm, I, I know you've also kind of elaborated on as well, but I just find that whole effect went from just you know, that year before the NA, you be, like the Sharks enter the NHL, the amount of revenue they do is about the same as three times more than the next team. It's crazy. And then the global effect that this has is you're starting to see hats all over in Europe. I remember as a kid, I was the guy who got the Mighty Ducks jersey as well when they came out. But this is, you know, and I remember my first hockey bag being a Sharks hockey bag. And like the team wasn't existing yet. And I know there's, there's pictures of hockey players on the sharks now that are wearing stuff back then, like Brent Burns in a school photo, Logan Couture at a birthday. And it's like, man, this logo was everywhere growing up and it was hard to ignore it. Right. Yeah. You know, again, if you think about, you know, whenever I do anything, what you have to do is stand out in the marketplace. Um, the sports marketplace, even back then, is crowded. You know, if you think about, because it's not just other hockey teams you're competing against. You know, what you're competing right. against is, is all the other sports stuff that's available to people. So if you think about minor league hockey, minor league baseball, you know, the NFL, major league baseball, all that's the that's it's a crowded space so if you do something that 
is not going to stand out. Um, you're just going to get lost. And so I think part of that success of that um, on a global scale was that it was it was different enough. Um, and also it told the story. And again, there are very few logos that tell the story. So I don't care if you're in Europe or wherever you might be, the color is going to be different. And, you know, hockey's an aggressive sport, you know, and this one of the, the things the league didn't like about it was, you know, we had, you know, we were taking their to the, the tool of their trade and, and, and yeah, I'm not gonna say desecrating it, but we were having it broken in half. Right. And I think that what that also did though, think about it. If, if you don't know the sport or what you think you might know, it doesn't matter. Everybody can relate to what that means. I've got a shark, they bite things. Um, and here he is breaking the stick. And so the logo spoke to people. Uh, here's an aggressive sport and this is this is cool um, and it's not something that would normally be done and you've probably heard some of the interviews I've done earlier but I said that logo would never exist if you were designing logos today there's they're they're all done by committee they all have to go through all these approval processes they all have to go through the leagues all that kind of stuff and there's no way this logo would have gone through the league at that time so if, if we had tried to do this even, you know, five years later, um, this logo would not exist. I, I've, I believe that too. And it's, it's kind of sad that the collaboration process has gotten more corporate that way because your logo is voted the best NHL logo of all time in 2015 by the Hockey News. Like, and now that we know the process behind that, it seems kind of criminal that they're putting a little bit of a handcuff on the designer, but as a designer myself, you know, and wanting creativity at all costs, like I completely feel that way. Um, but you know, another reason why this was like, I think to your point is because this logo at the time, and you're trying to tell a story at the NHL level, you don't see a lot of like animated or cartoony looking logos. And now you don't down in the minor leagues you certainly see a little bit more creativity that way but at the time it seems like the sharks logo was taking a big risk in breaking away from the traditional more shield approach and adding a little bit of personality in the shark with that aggressive biting of the stick and just the animation in general and i see that also in the fact that you are using a triangle behind the shark to kind of convey motion, right? And so I feel like that logo is just a perfect blend of what you were experimenting with that other people weren't doing at the time, but also um, giving it like that aggressive and mean approach instead of like a more comical approach that I think people were kind of expecting if you say animate a logo, right? Yeah, the, uh, you know, if you look at the original design, obviously we've come back and, you know, we, we also did the redesign for the new one, but you know, the original one, there's two things you're just trying to convey in a very, very quick way, speed and power. That's hockey, speed and power. Yes, there's a finesse to it, but it's not what a lot of people think about back then when they thought about hockey, you know, they thought about speed and power. Now Gretzky, man, that was just pure grace. But for most people, those were the two things they thought about. And so when you see the mark, it, 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 that's really the first thing you see by having um, it, it break the triangle and come through the triangle and the angle, we're trying to say speed. 
by breaking the stick and biting it, we're trying to save power. So it's very, very simple. It's a very, very simple, easy message for anybody to understand. And it's not confusing or anything like that. The other thing is when you look at the, the shark design, it's not a shark. You know, it, it is a, you know, symbolic representation, you know, of a shark. Because right. that's not what a shark looks like. Right. Um, but a shark is not, uh, from an artistic standpoint, you know, I, I used to tell people it's a, it's a cigar with teeth. Right. Um, yeah. You know, and you've got this dorsal fin, which is what most people see. So, you know, when we did the first one, and I worked with, there were two other designers, um, actually one other designer primarily is working with, there's a, an artist named uh, John Zelesnik, mm-hmm. um, and he's kind of a, a, a fantasy sci-fi, um, you know, illustrator, and I'm an illustrator, so both of us have illustration background. But the idea there was, you know, just to try to come up with a, you know, stylized graphic representation, you know, of a shark. And then the idea of... <clears throat> you know, creating something that, um, you know, again, get the idea of aggressiveness, you know, is kind of where that came through. So, you know, I, I credit John with a lot of um, a very, very heavy influence on that basic look. When we came back and did the, the second design, um, I have another uh, artist that uh, is part of our crew that we work with quite a bit, um, an artist named Norman Feltley, who's uh, yeah. kind of comes more from a, a comic book background. Mm. Um, and, uh, again, also, you know, illustration, all that kind of stuff. So when we set out to do the next version, uh, what we wanted to do was bring, make the shark appear a little more 3d. Yeah. And so, and we also wanted, cause in the main logo there, the only teal in that main logo is the little stripe that runs inside yeah. the triangle. Otherwise there's no teal. Right. But teal had become such a predominant color for the team that They're we wanted to bring more teal into the primary logo. And so what you see on the second version is we use the teal to kind of give the shark a little bit more dimension. Mm-hmm. The other thing I wanted to do is bring out the aggressiveness in the second one. And so you see the eye goes from being just white to, you know, now we take the stick color and we pop that into the eye, make him look a little more evil, a little more aggressive. And then we went back and, you know, simplified things. So the, the second version is, um, uh, yes, it's graphic, but it's a little more representative of a shark. And then on the third versions, you know, um, on the more recent versions, you know, people wanted to see the teeth, <laughs> you know, because, you know, even on the first ones, yeah, you, you kind of get the sense of it. But when people think about a shark, you think about the mouth open and, and taking a bite. And so the newer stuff that you see, again, that's where we start getting into, you know, seeing, um, you know, seeing the mouth being open, which was quite a challenge. But we went kind of from a stylized shark to um, more of a 3D shark. But also when we went to the 3D shark, um, the, the team you never saw the full shark. Right. Uh, and so that's where the, the alternate jerseys that first came out were the first time you saw that, what we call the leaping shark when they came out with their black jerseys, where you actually saw the full shark. You didn't see the teeth yet because that didn't come until a couple of years ago. But the idea of there was a evolution, right. if you will, to, to not only the logo, but then the interpretation of the logo and the interpretation of the uniforms. So yes, I 
you know, designed the first ones. And then, like I said, once Nike took over, they went through a whole series of iterations before. Uh, and then the team was sold and that new ownership group brought me back in to just to, you know, redesign jerseys and redesign logos and things like that. Um, so I did a few more after that. And then uh, team was sold again. Um, and I have not been as involved. Um, the last thing I did was uh, there's a their third alternate jersey. Um, the last couple, you know, we've mm -hmm. been involved with a little bit. And and I mean that's a significant history with the Sharks organization specifically. And then you were also influencing a lot of their minor league affiliates as well. And then something else that kind of came up in what you're talking about that I was curious about was also sometimes it seems like these designs get made and then get put on the shelf and can get resurrected a little bit later. And I, if I understand correctly, like some of the earlier concept art for what the original sharks logo could have been is now closely resembling what the uh, China sharks and um, barons are using today. Is that right? Yeah, some of those, uh, some of those earlier designs. Yeah, so the uh, you talk about a more cartoony approach. I think, uh, I think at the time we were working on the Sharks logo, I think the Penguins still had their more cartoony look before they went mm -hmm. to the more, um, more design oriented penguin in the triangle. Yeah. Um, before they had more of the cartoony penguin that was skating. Yeah, I actually like that one a lot. Yeah. So, um, you know, but that was one of the things that the Sharks didn't want to go down that path um that that's one of the reasons they leaned away from that but that uh the shark that you see for um i think it was used for the i believe it was used for the, the team in china um there was a version of it with a monocle and top, and top hat, hat that for was the used for um oh, okay and then uh there was a uh, almost like a W with a shark fin that was used for, I believe that was also used for Worcester. Um, and then um, there were a few other things that were done, you know, here and there. But one of the things for, if people are interested in seeing some of that stuff, uh, on December 10th, I'm, I'm doing, uh, I'm partnering with eBay and we'll be releasing people. You'll be the first to hear, your people will be the first to hear about this. Um, but there are a lot of people that collect my artwork and want that. Um, and I, I don't release it usually ever. So it'll appear on baseball cards or a, a poster or a media guide or something like that. But with eBay, we're going to be, I'm releasing a, a catalog that normally a TSC catalog, which so Terry Smith creation. Okay. TSC. Normally these only get sent to, um, you know, companies like Nike, Adidas or teams, you know, their catalogs of work uh, where we're talking to them about projects. But we're going to release a small number of them. And in that catalog, there are, um, I think, three pages of Sharks logos. Oh, cool. So you'll actually be able to see um, some of the stuff that didn't get used. Oh, that'll uh, be so but, awesome. But over the years, um, you know, we've probably done a couple hundred logos. Wow. Um, and again, most of them, well, most of them. Uh, I'd say out of the 200 we've probably done, and I'm sure there's probably more than that, maybe 15 have been seen. 
See, that's the exciting thing about what you just said is I just know there's so many other possibilities out there, but at the same time, you're trying to keep it to its traditional look and feel like don't fix what's not broken type situation and public opinion and design subjectiveness always makes it really difficult to know, okay, I finally am ready to release that logo and take a look at it. Um, but man, that's really exciting to hear because I know there's been some really off the board ones that were like more like maybe when it was the sharks that it was more like a tiger shark with like a lime green pattern to it and stuff like that. I've seen them oh, say yeah. weird stuff out there and I'm just oh, like, yeah. oh, there's yeah. got to be just so much. Yeah, now that that one that you that one you're talking about, you know, is one we actually did, you know, um, way you know, a long time ago, you know, when, before the one you're wearing. So there's a version of that shark, but it's because one of the names being thrown about was tiger sharks. Right. And, and so we were trying to do again, something very different. So yeah, you've probably seen it and maybe you're, you know, maybe you've got a copy of it somewhere, but yeah, that one's crazy. It, it's got black, it's got lime green. There's a tiger stripe pattern on it. That's oh, moving man. the triangle. The, the uniform itself has these kind of weird tiger stripes on it. Yeah. There was some very, different stuff definitely right but you know at the end of the day like i said when you're doing these things <clears throat> you know i i don't you know i'm not a big internet person i don't follow any stuff but whenever you're doing these things i mean half the people are going to like it and half of them aren't um when we first came out with the logo it, people associated with hockey hated it the league didn't like it you know people traditional hockey people didn't like it um it was too different um but you know, we were in a different market. So in our market, it was working. And, you know, for most of the rest of the people outside of hockey, it worked great. And I think over time, people who were in hockey, especially the younger people in hockey, they liked it. Um, and so what you had was an institution, um, like a lot of sports, right, that, that are steeped in tradition. <clears throat> the people that run those organizations are the last people that want change. Um, we're seeing a little bit of that in our country today, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, on social uh, on social causes and social justice, you know, people want to keep the system the same. And sometimes the best thing is making change. <clears throat> and yeah. in this particular case, you know, the logo, I think, helped bring about change. And I'm hoping that in the same way, the reason I'm doing more of these interviews, because normally I don't, is I'd like to see more diversity in hockey. You know, uh, I'd like to see, you know, um, the sport start to change in that area as well. So hopefully it will work. But I'll make one other point. When you think about all the soccer logos that you see, mm -hmm. I look at soccer and I think soccer is still, you know, in the same place where hockey was, right? Soccer is all about these shields. Right. And you don't see anybody that steps out of that norm. Yeah. And, and so what you get is this kind of repetitive feel. It's going to yeah. have a, you know, flag like uh, coat of arms crest and, and, and that's traditional soccer. And so the people running the organization, that's, that's soccer to them. Yep. And, and, and that's a sport. Think about on a global basis. If you came out with something very, very different for Manchester United, just something different it would probably hit a home run just because it's different. And in that way, I think the Sharks logo may have, you know, when you talk about your, your theories, 
I think, you know, one of the things is, again, sometimes change can be good. I, and, you know, the, one of the big mantras of this podcast is there's no Jersey too big or too small, too new or game worn, too loud or too proud. Like we, we love and embrace all the designs that are out there. And that is a theme that we like to promote on this podcast as well. And just because you hit on the topic of diversity, I think it's important to mention that, you know, players like Evander Kane in the San Jose Sharks organization, who's a big member of the Hockey Diversity Alliance, is doing the responsible thing by telling the NHL, look, we don't want to be affiliated with you right now because we understood it was a great partnership out of the gate. But so far, your efforts have shown more that it's just a publicity thing than trying to actually enact real change. So while Kane knows that there's support through the NHL, he doesn't want to be associated with people that aren't doing the proper actions that he feels are necessary. And yeah, I think, you know, I think that the, um, it's just like anything else, you know, um, there are people, you know, behind the scenes who are, you know, working to, to make that change, you know, but just like in our country, you know, the racialist issues are, you know, they're institutional and they're systematic. And, and when they're that deep, they take time to change, but you, you have to, you have to point them out. You have to continually point them out and you have to continually work towards that change. So hopefully, you know, that will be happening. Um, but you know, the sport itself is, it sounds like you played, you know, it's, it's an expensive sport. Um, so you see this in a lot of sports, yeah. you know, hockey is not a country club sport like golf or tennis, mm. but you know, those types of, of sports and, and, and institutions, um, you know, it is, it's, it is difficult sometimes for people of color to have access to those types of, of, of venues and, and equipment and all the other types of things. So hopefully um, there'll be, you know, uh, programs and, and people, you know, trying to, to make those types of things happen and, and make these sports accessible. I, I completely agree. And I'll plug one right now, black girl hockey club. It's a nonprofit and uh, they actually have scholarships open right now for any black women looking to get involved either with a support for playing a full season to just needing equipment or going to a tournament. And they're partnering with some amazing organizations. I believe around the same day that you'll be releasing things on eBay, they're partnering with the Erie Otters and doing an awareness night. So I'm really, really encouraged by what's happening. And um, I also really look forward to trying to talk to Blake Bolden, who's part of the diversity, equity and inclusion uh, panel with the LA Kings. And um, they do a lot of diversity nights too. So, yeah. And I have some ideas. So I'm hoping, you know, there are a couple of those organizations um, that I know they're trying to bring about change and some people that I know, I've, you know, I've started to have some conversations with. So hopefully, I, you know, I'd like to do some, uh, some designing or do some things that can, can help that cause as well. So hopefully here in the, in, in the near future, we'll be able to do a few things, but yeah, mm-hmm. if black girls, uh, you know, for hockey, Hey, I'd love to design that uniform for them. Hell yeah. So, yeah. You know, there you go. Have some fun and, and bring about some awareness. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure over time, you know, 
when if I do more things like this, more people will know, yeah, that, uh, you know, I'd love to be involved in some of those things that, that help some of those causes. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And um, we certainly want to support that, too. So we'll be making sure to let Black Girl Hockey Club know that. Um, and then, you know, and then you can take their uniforms on your show. Yeah, trust me. And, and just like I, you're talking yeah. half the people, half, some people are going to like them and some people right. gonna, at least they'll be talking about them. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And it's not like I need a really strong reason to buy a jersey, um, but that would be a very strong one. Um, and, you know, Terry, we are coming to the top of the hour and I really want to thank you for being on, but um, I do have just a few quick questions I wanted to throw at you and I'll try to segue this into you know, we're talking about diversity and what's going on behind the scenes. Um, so I want to talk to you a little bit about the logos and what's maybe hidden in there behind the scenes. Um, one of the things I think I figured out is, um, you know, people want to try to pick apart a logo when they really look at it and try to dissect every single detail. And one of the things I got kind of obsessed with is numbers and if they have any significance and I looked at something like the New York Islanders logo with the four stripes on the stick, and that means four Stanley Cups. And I look at the stripes on the stick or the amount of stripes in the shark teeth, and I'm like, nope, that was probably more to just help protect against counterfeiting. So is, is that is that more like the design that went into that one? Yeah, you know, again, when you when you start working on 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 these, what you're trying to do is solve a you're trying to solve a problem visually, you know, and as I told you before, you know, the first it, it's, what are you trying to say? Well, speed and power. Mm. And then, like I said, on the next version, it's okay. We want to say speed and power, but move it from 2d to 3d. Right. Um, on, on the last versions again, now we need to open the mouth. <clears throat> so mm. one of the hard things was when you take our original design and you open the mouth, it doesn't look like the same shark. And right. so that, you know, I became obsessed with going, how do I open the mouth on this stylized shark that we have and still have it look like a shark? And that's where, again, the design starts to break down from the standpoint of this really doesn't look like a shark. Right. Right. <laughs> so it works for what we were trying to do at this angle and all that stuff. But once you change the angle and start opening the mouth and all that kind of stuff, it doesn't look like it's in the same family as the mark you just did. <clears throat> so with that being said, you know, um, you really don't <clears throat> get into um, trying to put hidden messages or things like that when you start these things out. Now, my paintings are completely opposite. There's okay. always nice you got to look for it so every now and then yeah i'll do it in logos but i usually don't tell people which ones i do it in and which ones i don't um part of it is that's the beauty and the fun oh of, totally of doing this and that is logos are very personal things and like i told you there's no right or wrong answers so i never um confirm or deny any of the conspiracy theory <laughs> because I want people to read into it what they want. I want them to make up their own stories. Um, that's when it's important to them and it's personal to them. And again, they're fans, fanatics, right? So they're gonna, you're always gonna have disagreements. That's what's the beauty of sports. Which player was, was better? Um, you know, which color was better? Which uniform do you like better? That's what sports is. 
So if I answer those kind of questions, I think I ruined some of the, the beauty and the fun of sports. So that's a long-winded way to say no comment. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's fine. I, I actually think that helps our debate because now we like, you know, in it, we're online and we're talking about all these theories and I'm like, you know what, screw this. We're going to have the designer and settle this once and for all. And it's like, actually, we're not, we're just going to get a more diplomatic answer as to why we continue to debate about it. Because I think one of the more obvious ones is in the new design when you add teal to the actual shark, people want to try to see an S and J in the top of that shark. And I, I know it's been pointed out to you and highlighted, and I know your answer on that is what you just gave. I just, I, so I won't, I won't bother you with giving a more diplomatic answer than you already did on that one. But I'm wondering if you've heard about this other one. I don't know if it's like this, where it's like, Terry Smith, you did the Sharks logo. Oh my God, do you, do you know this? Kind of like when an actor's like, oh, I loved you in that movie. But um, the one I wanted to come running with you, uh, running to you with, and like, now I know I'm not getting an answer, but I just have the <laughs> privilege of having you on video. So I get to see your reaction when I say this, but um, I can't help but notice like there's a a couple similarities between the penguins and the sharks logo in terms of you even alluded to like comparing it to the penguin that's skating and we didn't want to go that far but you know that triangle's there to convey motion but that triangle also uh is indicative of the city of pittsburgh and this triangle that you have is to convey motion but I, I think what's also going on, especially on the, like when you're looking at the logo on the left side, it conveys to me this area of the bay called the red triangle, which is shark infested. And when you draw this red triangle off the coast and superimpose the logo over it, the eye and the triangle almost line up to the red triangle of shark infested waters and the eye of where San Jose is located. So I think that's really, really cool. I don't know if that's a super duper con like coincidence, but as someone who, after just looking at jerseys forever, then looks past the jersey and starts looking for me, I wanted you to at least be aware of that one. And for the people not seeing this and just hearing this, he's smiling and nodding. So I'm not going to look into that. What I will tell you. He's just saying, yeah, I like it. All right. What, what I will tell you is on any logo that I'm going to work on, you are going to do a bunch of research. And the reason you're doing the research is you want to have reasons for why you make some of the decisions that you make. Um, so, for example, when you first hear the name shark, what's the first shark type you think of? Yeah, like great white. That's what most people, but are there any great whites off of the California coast? Um, which are the more interesting? Some of the thrasher sharks are far more interesting looking. So you start to do a lot of research on sharks. The varieties, the colors, um, the patterns. If you look at leopards, we've got so many different kinds of sharks and the different shapes of the dorsal fins and the different shapes of the tail fins. And so you know, when you are doing your research, you come across a lot of facts or things that you don't know. When you are looking for, you know, yes, the triangle is, 
for me was the best geometric shape to use. I could have used a circle, could have used a square. You know, in fact, the fin that was on the shoulder mm -hmm. uses a circle, mm -hmm. you know, with a wave pattern in it. So from an artistic standpoint, what I will say is the first thing you're trying to do is solve a visual problem uh, in a way that makes sense. Um, and then as you're doing your research and all those kind of things, sometimes you can begin to merge these things together so that when you sit down to, to tell people why, because people who aren't artists are going to ask you why, why did you choose that color? Yeah. Why did you do that shape? Why did you do this? And as an artist, I can say, because it, because it makes sense because it feels right because of it. But for a lot of people, that's not good enough, <laughs> right? <laughs> they, they want a, an answer. So sometimes when you create things you know that you're going to be asked a bunch of questions and so you have all these written explanations as to why you did what you did now did you plan it that way sometimes and sometimes it's a lucky coincidence so that is my explanation yeah. to say maybe you're right <laughs> maybe you're not how was that <laughs> that was great uh, that, that'll just keep us going, you know, that'll, that'll bring us back a whole other time with a whole new batch of questions. Cause I mean, I'd certainly love more of your opinions on things of diversity in hockey, but also things like, um, that lime green color and maybe that working its way into a blackout Jersey or a reverse retro or, a, well, you know, all that stuff. Do, yeah. I know we're running out of time. So here's what we'll do. You know, if you guys want to do this again, what I'll do is, you know, we can do another one. But what I will do is, you know, again, I've got all the old logos. I've got all the uniform designs um, and, you know, we'll do another one. And I'll actually show you a lot of the stuff that, you know, because, boy, the last time we did the uniform guys, I probably did, um, I don't know, there's probably 60 or 70 different. Jeez. So, That's so awesome. Yeah, yeah, that would be so much fun for us. Absolutely. So what you can do is you can set it up with your folks and you can, we'll do a special one and I'll show them all the stuff that all the rejects and all the stuff that didn't get used and, and you guys will get a sneak peek at it. All right. Yeah. I I'll go check with them. Um, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> well, what I'm telling you is I'm not going to check because if we check with them, they're going to say no. So <laughs> no, I'm saying I'll check with my friends who think oh. if this will be a good, yeah, I think they'll be all right with it. Yeah, uh, I thought, oh, I thought you were going to check like with the league or the sharks. No, gosh, no. Yeah, they'll, they'll go. No, no. I already have phones to pick with them what? over the, a lot of Jersey yeah. designs they do. So no. Yeah. Uh -uh. Go, What's Terry doing? Why is he? <laughs> that and they'll call me and tell me you're crazy no you can't show those but there's some fun, there's some fun stuff in there i'm sure we can find some things we can show yeah absolutely anyway, you guys have yeah thanks thank you so much terry um have a great rest of your week we'll be in touch and um if you want to say goodbye and shout out i'll i'll leave the mic open for you to do so if you want to hop i completely understand appreciate all the time you've given us today yeah, I'm sorry that I, guys, I'm sorry I have to hop today because I got to do another one in about two or three minutes here. But uh, it's a pleasure having you on, Dan. It's nice to meet you. And, uh, you know, if you need me on again, just ping me and we'll uh, we'll do it again. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take All right. care. See you guys. Thanks. Bye.